This is Radio Rollback, the podcast that celebrates the great music radio of the 60s, 70s and 80s. On the Radio Rollback podcast, you'll hear the stations, the DJs, the adverts, the jingles. And we also talked to some of the personalities who were involved in that great era of pop radio, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. This is the Radio Rollback Podcast. Hi and welcome to uh, episode 23 of Radio Rollback and uh, particularly excited to bring you this episode because my special guest is none other than Ian McRae who uh, worked for both Radio City and Radio Caroline. He was uh, born in Melbourne, Australia and uh, found himself in the UK in 1966 right bang smack in the middle of the uh, pirate stroke offshore radio boom. Now before we uh, have a chat to Ian McRae let's hear some of him on the air. This is Ian on Radio City. All or nothing at all. A song by Steve Marriott and Plonk Lane for their group The Small Faces. Radio City time check 11 and a half before the hour of 4 o'clock and news time first fast and factually at 4 o'clock. Reminder about these uh, new Radio City t-shirts obtainable right now from us. For you there's three very smart and very kinky uh, type colours there in these t-shirts they come in yellow, blue or white from the very impressive black Tower of Power symbol on the front sizes, once again, three sizes here, small, medium or large for both ladies and gents too of course the price is just a very small 12 and 6 which includes the postage and packaging address your orders to t-shirts, Radio City number 7, Denmark Street, London WC2 12 shillings and 6 pennies get for you a T-shirt with a big Radio City sign on front. Radio City T-shirts, 12 and 6, number 7, Denmark Street, London, WC2. We're on the move. Gently swinging there at Macca's Music Show till half past four this afternoon. Nice to have you along. Oh, yes! Oh, yes, so oh, yes, Dean Parrish, sing the song now. By stateside. Tell her. Dean Parrish tearing down the song. Tell her. City time. Checking on now. Eight before four o'clock. A news time on the hour. Monstrous Packers music show. Paul Revere and the Raiders. There is some wall of sound up by Paul Revere and the Raiders for CBS 51 City Sound this week in Hungary. Five to four o'clock is Radio City right time, and these are the Bachelor Boys. Can I trust you? Out by Decker, the Bachelors. A song called Can I Trust You, and tonight at seven o'clock, you will hear the corniest program on radio, radio's most avoided program, the Auntie Mabel Hour. Seven o'clock tonight for that one. Tonight's Monday, tonight's Monday. And the time now on the Ian McRae program from Radio City is exactly four o'clock. Radio City News, as it happens, every hour. Alan Clark with the four o'clock news from Radio City. 
Radio City Weather Watch, scattered showers expected this afternoon and will become heavier later on. The night will be clear and dry. Today's high, 19 degrees centigrade, 66 from the Fahrenheit scale. And dropping overnight to 9 degrees centigrade, 48 degrees Fahrenheit. And the further outlook, continuing cool. Continuing cool indeed for the next 30 minutes on the last half hour of the Ian McRae program. More news right here at 5 o'clock. And there we go, continuing cool in Macca's music show, as the smooth one said. <laughs> Where's my bongos like? Oh, did I, uh? There's Cliff Bennett. And the Beatles song, off Revolver LP for Parlophone, got to get you into my life. City sound number 30 this week. Look at that big tanker going past right now. Enormous size. Wouldn't like to see that nose coming into our bedroom one night, would you? Okay. Rush. Wow, what a size. About two miles long. Out of America, big oil tanker going past. Well, one mile long. Well, it's half... It was a big tanker, isn't it? Five past four o'clock now. And here's a Phillips recording by The Peddlers, all about Adam's apple. Ian McRae in fine form on the Shivering Sands Fort, of course, Radio City. So Ian joined me on the telephone from his home in Australia. And I started by asking him how somebody who already had a, a great career in Australia found himself on an old World War II fort in the Thames estuary. Well, um, at that time, the way things worked when you got into radio here, um, you go through a series of, uh, like, jobs. So I started at a Melbourne um, radio station, a major radio station, as Office Boy, as it's called then. And then you move on when the vacancy becomes available into the record library, and then you become a panel operator, which I did all those three things. And uh, after about uh, six years doing that, I thought time has got to move on now. I've got to move on to become actually on air. So I did some applications around and got a job in a, in a country station, a regional station, not far from Melbourne, about uh, 90 miles, and a place called 3CS Colac. And I was there for about four years, and that went pretty well. But I suddenly started to get a bit bored with country life. And I was reading all these stories about pirate radio in the UK. And uh, one in particular in a magazine had all these photos of Radio Caroline. And I thought, I think the time has come to move on. So I sold my car, uh, my first little Volkswagen VW. And with that money, I got a tr uh, ticket on the Oriana because in those days, air flight was pretty expensive. And, uh, and suddenly I turned up in Melbourne with little money. And uh, I met these girls on the Oriana. Uh, they said, well, when you get to London, come and, come and sleep on the couch with us till you find a place to live. I did that. Um, and uh, one day I was actually in the toilet uh, at that flat and they had a little transistor radio hanging up behind the door. I was flashing up and down the dial and I heard this incredible radio station. I thought, gee, this sounds pretty good. And it was Radio City. Of course, in the, I, they didn't give any uh, phone numbers or anything, but they had a competition going and they gave the street address of Radio City. Uh, and so I wrote it down and went in there and said, you got any jobs? Absolutely amazing. It's very, very 60s, isn't it? You know, meeting some girls and sleeping on the couch. I guess it wouldn't happen that way these days, but really good. So who did you meet uh, when you went into uh, into Radio City? Who, who, was Reg there or was he? Yeah, no, uh, Reg Calvert I talked to. And um, they had, I, I thought it was, when I first heard it on air, I thought it must be one of those ships. I had no idea it was in those old war, uh, World War Two forts and... Um, 
so they had a huge blow, blown up photo of, of the forts behind Reg in the office. And I thought, what the hell is that? He said, that's where you're going to be working. So <laughs> it was quite a surprise when we went out there for the first time on the tender and I saw I saw this amazing sight of these old World War II forts on big concrete legs in the middle of the Thames estuary. Yeah, it must have been quite a sight. So how long was it from having that first meeting that you, you found yourself on the way out there? Pretty quickly, I would imagine, was it? Uh, like next day? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> amazing. And I would imagine the first thought is, is how the hell do I get up there? Yeah, and then I, re- I realised how the hell you get up there. Uh, sort of a wooden platform uh, hanging off uh, four ropes on each corner attached to an old cable, which they winched up. Yeah, <laughs> which must, I mean, you must have had a thought at the time, Ian, my goodness me, what am I doing here? Well, I mean, the thing was that uh, there was quite a, a swell there. It's on on sandbanks, but... There's a big swell running, so you had to time your jump carrying your suitcase uh, <laughs> as, as, the, as the tender went down uh, between waves uh, and as it went up, you had to jump when, when you became level with the platform. Oh, incredible. And then you had to put your faith in, in somebody to winch you up okay, I guess. That's right. You know, they had a, a, one of the technicians, the engineers, was looking out the little window and uh, he, he was giving the thumbs up and up, up we came. Fantastic. And was there anybody else uh, on that trip out with you at the time, or was it just uh, you and Reg? Oh, no, it was two other uh, current disc jockeys. Uh, yeah, Reg was there, and a couple of technicians too, I think. Yeah. Uh, so you so you get on board this fort, and I guess one of the things you, you first thought was probably relief that you'd uh, made it to the top safely. And uh, uh, what, what did you think? What was your first impression once you had actually got aboard? I was horrified. It was, it was absolute crap. I mean, what they call a studio, I, I couldn't believe. I mean, I've been working in, um, you know, reasonably professional studios. Yeah. And when I saw all these this home gear, like turntables you find in somebody's home, and, uh, oh, it was terrible. But I thought, okay, well, the listeners can't see where we are, so um, as long as it gets out and it sounds okay, that's what it's all about. And so, how, how long? Uh, how long was it before you actually took to the air? I mean, did you? I guess there wasn't much training involved apart from. There was no training involved. <laughs> yeah. Not that I needed any. That no, time. no, no. <laughs> there was probably training to know how to work all that incredibly ancient gear. Um, but um, I think I was on my did my first shift the next day. Yeah. And what, what was it like? I mean, did, you know, it was obviously really uh, different to, to, to being uh, over in Australia. Were, were there any conversations around things like format and stuff like that? Or was it pretty much free reign at that time? It was fairly free reign. Um, Reg did send out a, a weekly playlist of music we should be playing. Uh, and occasionally there was um, some directions about, you know, introductions and things like that. So was like a sort of a jocks meeting, but it wasn't face to face. So there was some direction, yeah. But um, yeah, there was, uh, and I, I think it was probably one of the best uh, pirate stations in terms of creativity. Uh, we we started a, a comedy show at night called the Auntie Mabel Hour, and um, that went, the only the downside was the the low signal, uh, the uh, really weak signal getting out of there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to come on to uh, talk about the Auntie Mabel Hour. Alan Clark, who was your co-host on that, actually, he, he lives about 
uh, half a mile from where we're recording this now. So how did that all come about and how long was it um, after you'd sort of joined the station that you and Alan came up with that? Well, I'd be, I've always dealt in comedy at breakfast time on radio and had been. And so I just said to the guys one night over dinner that, you know, we need a few more laughs around here. It was all sounding good and up and happy. But um, I said, let's do a bit of a satirical show. Because we started to just do satirical bits over dinner and, and had a few laughs. And I said, well, let's put this on the air. And I didn't even ask Reg. I wish just did it. <laughs> and was Reg okay with it? Oh, yeah. I mean, once they heard it and, and uh, we were getting a lot of reaction, you know, um, they, were, they were quite happy with it. Yeah, absolutely. It was based on um, – I made up this character, Auntie Mabel, and uh, the story was – that she uh, drove around London in an open E-type Jag. She wore a leopard skin uh, cape and um, and she talked like that. And so that's how Auntie Mabel came about. There's Tally Tom out there in the control room with his finger hovering over the sensor button. We have a sensor button because in case uh, we might... Uh, Say naughty things. Yes, you know. In fact, last night we were talking about... Uh, what was it? The, uh, oh, <laughs> We were, anyway. He's keen, isn't yes. he? Yes. Hey? Anne, um, we found a record which may uh, substitute, uh, may be a good substitute for Rinky Dink. You oh, may she, like it. She's had one request Yes, already. but she did ask for uh, no, Mr. Morgan music. No, she can't have to, I'm sorry. This will be for somebody else. You don't need to be mingy. This could be for the post-Nibbler uh, Goodra. <laughs> well, let's make it for Anne Brooks, because uh, she sounds uh, though she likes organ music. I like the jazz organ as well. And this one comes from Mr. Richard Groove Holmes. Yeah, no, it does. It's called Misty, too. Yeah. If you press the right button... And Misty. It'll cost uh, ten and six plus tax. You are um, terrible. One pound ten and six. Talking of money, um, this fellow who wrote from uh, High House Farm in uh, Peasen Hall. Saxmundham in Suffolk. No comment. Hello, John Cooper. How are you? Thank you for your letter very much indeed. Hello, John. And hello, John. And John's offered to send us money, so I knew somebody would. One pound a year, he said he'd send to us for the Auntie Mabel show to keep it on the air. Oh, Address true. all money to Ian McRae. <laughs> no, no, it's all right, John. Your listening ear will suffice. How about that? <laughs> listening ear or listening there, I suppose. Yeah, they're in everywhere. Yes. I wonder if John Cooper likes the trogs. I'll ask him. John, do you like the trogs? What do you say? Oh, well, let's not repeat that, please. Mm. It's a bit rough, isn't it? Well, we'll play the record anyway. All right. Doctor, for a girl like you. Great record, that. Uh, I wish they'd invite me to one of their little parties down there. Down where? In the oh, cave. In the cave, yeah. Trogs. I quite fancy that, actually, a party in the cave. Um, uh, these particular trogs deny any connection with those trogs down the caves. What are they called? Trogolites, I think they're called. Trogodolites, things. Young people walk down a cave and, and get all hairy and they have a beautiful time down there. It's all illegal and immoral and everything. It's marvellous. They have quite a rave. Yeah, have a real have rave up in the cave up. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh... How's this uh, seafaring life uh, getting you? You know, how's it been? It's been seven months. We're both roughly the same time out here, oh, I think. Roughly thereabouts. Seven or eight months. I have the sea in my blood, you know. Look, that's where it gets in, just there. Yeah. Yes, I thought you'd fall for that one. No, how do you like the idea? Do you like it or not? Well, it's all right. I mean, it's, it's okay. I suppose you get used to being yeah. out here, isolated, away from everybody. <laughs> you... Oh! <laughs> yeah, living out at sea. I wonder how our two uh, characters, John and Roger, would react to a sea oh. life. Can you imagine it? From Radio 299, you mean? Can you imagine it? Yeah. Let's see how we go, shall we? Yeah. <coughs> this is Radio 299, broadcasting in Grotty Gladys, the ladies' magazine of the air. And Good here's music. our... Bell Just for you. And here's our program director, Thing Chappie, John Thing. 
Thank you, John. John, yes, of course. Uh, Roger, sorry. Sorry, John. Yes, thank you very much indeed. Tell well, me, Roger. We like to talk about the sea a lot because it's very close to us. And, yeah. uh, in fact, about 50 feet away. Yes, and John, this evening I thought we might discuss certain aspects of the sea. Did you? For the enjoyment of our listeners. Yeah. And uh, what's always amazed me, Have or you? interested me, yeah. is these nautical terms. Oh, yes, we can't <laughs> use nautical terms on this broadcast, Roger. <laughs> these nautical terms, these sailor chappies use. Oh, who's that? Just a second, look out the window. Hang on. It's a Londoner. Is it really? We've been recognized. Hello, man. Let's play a record and go back to John and Roger after, shall we? The Alan Brown set there in their version of the Edwin Starr hit song, Headline Canoes. Time on 22 and a half to 8 o'clock on the Auntie Mabel Hour from Radio City. Nice to have you with us, too. Bearing up, are you? That's Mm -hmm. fine. Our little sketch there was rather disrupted by the uh, great big liner, the London, which went by and gave an enormous great hoot on the foghorn thing. You probably heard it in the background. But, uh, John, to get back to our original yes, discussion, Roger, yes. we were talking about nautical terms at sea. All those big hairy seamen on the Londoner. Yes, quite. And uh, we wondered how we would translate some of these terms that these sailor chappies use, you know. Sailor chappies, yes. Yeah. For example, John. Yeah. Um, how, about, <laughs> how about this phrase that they use, splice the main brace? Splice, splice the, the main, main brace. Well, I yes. suppose it would mean they possibly pop up the sails and cut yes. them in half with yes. their scissors. I see. A main brace being the main sail. The main brace. And splice meaning splice to cut. Splicing to cut. Cut the sail in half. Cut the sail in the half. Blend. Or perhaps yes. if you're wearing bracelets, you could cut there. I see, yes. Well, thank you, yes. yes. Let's uh, look at a few more. Yeah. How about this expression one here the sailor chap is using at sea? Avast me hearties. Avast me hearties. They say yeah. with a rather rough accent, though. Not yes. like you said it there, oh, Roger. They would say... And and it was really quite ahead of its time. It was really was. I mean, sadly, there isn't too many recordings of it now. You know, got a few little bits, but it it really was for working where you were and with the equipment you had. It was very, very creative, Ian, wasn't it? It was. As you say, the equipment was crap, you know, and and, uh, there was just the one basic mic in the studio initially, and so we all stood around that one mic, and I, I sort of leant over the panel and push the switches yeah it was, yeah absolutely incredible one, one of my favorite episodes uh and i do have a little bit on tape but not a lot and the quality is really poor it is uh, when you did the um uh, the send-up of uh, swinging radio england and their uh, their really strange news bulletins do you remember that one yeah, yeah, because they 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 were johnny come lately swinging they're an american uh, pirate ship which uh, anchored not far from us but they had all these American jocks on board, and they had this incredible, uh, really heavy uh, echo on, on everything. Yeah. And um, it didn't work because people in the UK were still getting ready, uh, getting used to commercial radio, and um, American accents weren't that popular, you know. And so it, it died in the, in the bum eventually, um, which was a shame. It was a very professional station. Yeah. It just was. They got it, they got it wrong. They didn't know the market. Mm. Yeah, and, and I remember the the send up. There's a there's a great piece if I can remember it because it it, it were, um, on the automobile hour. You did particularly the news because they had this really over the top news um, 
junction at about quarter past the hour <laughs> where it was all these uh, uh, count uh, and then they had the countdown for the weather uh, we had to read the weather over the countdown and um, and I remember they used to sue uh, I think the tagline something went to uh, swinging Radio England news in the public interest and uh, I think you and Alan did something like uh, um, swinging Radio England news in the public convenience and, and there was all these uh, sound effects in the background <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, when we did uh, on that, um, on that topic of uh, reverb, um, when we need a bit of reverb on, say, a commercial, we just uh, run a cable down to the toilet downstairs and put a mic on it and uh, and record. Actually, in the t- had a really good echo in there. So you you were, obviously you were you were on Radio City, and I have to say you always sound uh, very up. You know, the Mike Side, Ian McRae and Monstrous Macca's music show was really great for the day. It was just wonderful, exciting uh, radio. But, of course, um, then you you were aboard when we had all the tragic incidents which were so significant in the future of uh, of radio in this country back in uh, June 66. And what, what sort of, I suppose you've got some really vivid memories of, of that uh, event, Ian. Well, my memory is uh, we'd just all gone to bed around about uh, 11, 12 o'clock because I think we went off, went off the air at midnight at that time. And um, suddenly it was, I heard all these voices and, and lights outside, looked out the window, there was a big tug and all these people getting off it onto the fort. And I wonder what's going on here. Well, it turned out to be a takeover. It was a blackmail uh, situation. Uh, we were held virtually at gunpoint. We did see a couple of the guys had guns. Uh, they were mostly out of work or, or striking wharf labourers, actually, but... Um, they came on and we, uh, they said, look, you know, we got a problem here with, with Reg and everything and uh, we're taking you off the air. And they, they found the crystal and the transmitter, took us off the air. And they said, we could be here for a while now. If you, you, you can go back on the tug and leave if you want to uh, uh, or stay, up to you. Um, and being young and stupid, I stayed. And uh, so we were there uh, for a week, virtually uh, captured until the sad thing happened that um, Rich went down to, I've forgotten where the place was now, not Sa- far from London. Saffron, Ward, uh, War- Saffron Warden in Essex, wasn't it? Yeah. That's it, that's it. And he went down to face the guy who'd caused all this. What was his name? Oliver um, Smedley. Major Oliver Smedley. Major Oliver Smedley, that's right. Big war- ex-wartime hero and all that. And, uh, and an argument broke out and Smedley grabbed a gun and basically shot Reg's guts out. Um, uh, so, of course, next day uh, we got back on the air again. They all had to leave. They well, felt they had to leave without even saying sorry. And um, we managed to find the crystal. We were a bit concerned because we, we lived on one of the towers and went across the catwalk to the other tower, which had the transmitter and studios in it. And we were a bit concerned, had they planted a bomb or something over there? Yeah, but We gave it half an hour, nothing happened. So we went over and got back on the air again. And the first, I was first back on the air. And I recall my first song was Strangers in the Night. Yes. Yeah, really poignant choice. And uh, the thing that always amazes me about the old uh, affair is that, it was, as we were talking earlier, it wasn't the easiest place to get on board, yet they seemed to manage it, which was kind of strange, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was rather strange, and uh, there's still talk about that on the Facebook pages, but um, someone had left the trapdoor. You come up the, you come up the stairs from, from the... You can, uh, there are some old... Uh, it's an old a stairwell, a stairway. 
Yeah. You can come upstairs and you reach a, a locked trap door. Now, that night, that trap door was unlocked. So, obviously, somebody on board was uh, was on the other side. And yeah. uh, we've got a few – we've got a, we still have a few um, ideas who it was. But the main person has – he's also on the Facebook page and he claims it wasn't him. So, um, We'll never know, I guess. No, uh, probably won't. But it must have been really, really scary. D- how did the news uh, get out to you that obviously Reg had, had been shot dead? Did you just hear it on a, a news bulletin or something like that? No, we heard it on the BBC News initially. We, we did have a, a, a guy uh, uh, on shore all the time um, and he'd get on the beach and, and uh, we'd have a radio time each night, I think around 8 o'clock for two-way radio communication, so we talked to each other. But we did hear about Reg and everything on, on uh, BBC News. And what was, the, um, uh, what was the, the feeling amongst the team out there at the time when that happened? Because I suppose you must have thought that, that this is going to go one way or the other. It's either going to escalate it or it probably will be the, the end of the siege, if you want to call it that. What was the mood like out there at the time? Well, just confusion, you know, and, and um, we, we all realised this is going to be great ammunition for the government who are trying to close down all the pirate stations, um, which it was, of course. And I think uh, Dorothy, uh, Ridge's wife, uh, got on the two-way and said she's taking over and the station will continue. So that was, that was really good news. Yeah, and, and what are you surprised by that? Because Reg is obviously a, a, a real character. I know his daughter, Susan, has uh, written a wonderful book about, about the time, and um, he, he was a real character, but so was Dorothy, a really strong lady, because I, I, all that she'd actually gone through, most people, male or female, would have think, actually, you know, this is it. With Dorothy, she, it was completely the opposite. It almost drove her on, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And, and they were a team. Um, I mean, she was always in the office with Reg there. And, and uh, it wasn't surprising that she had done that. And uh, we were obviously very pleased about it. Um, so we, we, the station could stay on a bit longer. But uh, we met our end before all the other stations were put out of business. Because what, what happened was um, uh, one day there was a sandbank, a small sandbank uh, between us and the shore. And it only appears out of the water a few times a year during the height of summer, uh, which it did. And the Navy sent out a uh, one of their ships, uh, a naval gentleman wearing gumboots, uh, yeah, gumboots, you know, hmm. and got off onto the sandbank, planted the flag, the Union Jack for Mother England, and that then put us in territorial waters. Before we go and just talk about that the last evening, because I know that was more bad news that you got, that you were going off. Reg is a, a fascinating character, and uh, what was he like? Because I think he was like a very enthusiastic, and was he a really good guy to uh, to work for? Yeah, I had no problems with him. No, none of us did, really. Um, he was pretty easygoing. He knew what he wanted to do. But uh, as far as we were concerned, he was a good guy. And uh, I did hear later, though, that... Before he was he was um, murdered, the, the, he was having talks, I think, with Radio London or one of the other yeah. pirates anyway, about selling the station to them, and and then it would become a good music station, which would have meant we would all we'd all be out of work, being rock and roll jock. Yeah, I think he did a deal with Caroline initially, and uh, yeah, then that that all fell through. That's how the transmitter got out there that caused all the issues because uh, Smedley and a few of the old. Um, 
uh, board of uh, Radio Atlanta actually paid for the transmitter, which never actually worked. Um, and uh, yeah, they, that that was what the argument I think was uh, was all about. And uh, when Dorothy took over, um, it, did, she tended to bring a bit more structure. Am I right in thinking that? No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, no, she did, Jeff. Um, she there, there were more memos coming out uh, about different programming things, and um, no, no, she she was very strong and. Uh, uh, her guidance was very strong. Obviously, you were all on tender hooks on that day back in February '67, waiting uh, the uh, decision of the the court. It obviously didn't go your way. So, w- what happened? Was there a memo sent out from Dorothy, or did she come out personally and tell you that it gone the wrong way and you needed to close down that night? Um, I don't remember, to be honest. I I I can't answer that question. I think she may have come out. But we had a spe- we had a time to get off air, and uh, you may have heard the the, the YouTube uh, audio of that in yeah. the last program, um, and so that was all a bit a bit upsetting. But in the meantime, she, Dorothy had done a deal with Radio Caroline with Ronan O'Reilly, and he he took on three of us uh, for the price of one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> but we had nowhere else to go, you know, so. Uh, so it was Tom Edwards, myself, and I think it would have been... No, it wasn't Alan Clark. No. I can't think who the third one was. Radio Caroline South, a very good morning to you. Good to have you along for the programme this morning, being the Steve Young Show till three o'clock with Ian Mack. Until then, then at three o'clock comes the Admiral. Oh, no! That's where it is, boo-boo. Best things in life are free after all, aren't they? The trucks. I can't stand still because you got me going. But when I'm with you, I, I can't control, control myself. Oh, that's a sexy song there, The Trucks. And I can't control myself. Neither can Reg, right, Reg? I can't control myself. That's what I said, Daddy. <laughs> Try and cool it off there, Red. Oh, it's too late. There he goes. It's all over now. <laughs> Forget it. A song from Jack Jones, now then the weather check. On the first night of the full moon. I will be returning and I'll never leave you anymore. Gee, there's a happy song. I will be returning and I'll never leave you anymore. Mr. Jack Jones. On the first night of the full moon, it is 19 past one o'clock. Right, tonight will be clear, and today another warm, dry, sunny day. There may be patchy low cloud, though, and the coastal strip along Essex and East Kent. Boo, hiss. Winds light north to northeast, and the outlook for Tuesday and Wednesday is dry, sunny and warm, a little rain in the north. And here is Willie Mitchell. Willie Mitchell. Will he or won't he? That is the question. Putting on the bad eye. That is called bad eye. On Radio Caroline South. The Steve Young Show coming your way on 259 meters with Ian Mac Mike Side. Let's cool things down a bit now this Monday morning and play a beautiful new song by Judy. Of the Seekers, of course. 
Cone the Olive Tree, sung by Tom Springfield. Miss Judy Durham. The old strong cover there. Sport. <laughs> Judy Durham. Beautiful song, isn't it? Called The Olive Tree. Written by Tom Springfield. And this week on the countdown of sound, a very worthy position of 47. Robbie with a cover. A nice cup of tea. Thank you very much, Admiral. A lovely cup of tea there. Having one yourself, are you? Have a cup of tea. Thank you very much. Very good of you. I hope Mummy will tell all about you. Well, it's lovely. Where's Daddy in jail again? <laughs> How did you find the transition from um, from the fort to the ship? We, obviously, the obvious thing, it, it moves a little bit more, but... Well, I mean, it's like going from a hovel to a, a mansion, you know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> a lot less space, but, my God, you know, they had a... Had, we had a chef and everything on board and, you know, and a nice bunk in the, in the cabin to sleep in and um, the food was pretty reasonable up to a point. So, yeah, no, it was a different lifestyle altogether. And, and, the, and the studio gear was, you know, obviously incredibly advanced compared to Radio City. Did you enjoy? Did you enjoy um, uh, the programming and and stuff on Caroline? Because again, that was um, it was a bit bit freestyle compared to things stations like Radio London, wasn't it? Yeah. Look, to be honest, when I was on shore leave for a week, I listened to Radio London. I thought it was a terrific station. I thought it was better than Caroline, uh, more professional. But what ha- happened on Caroline during that year I was there uh, before everything was closed down? Uh, Ronan O'Reilly did a um, deal with, what's his name, Phil, Phil yeah. Solomon. Yeah. Phil Solomon had a record company called Major Minor. And so Phil having, I presume, taken shares in Caroline, uh, the de- part of the deal was that he would have his records played one an hour or whatever it might be, top of the hour. And all the, his records were like Irish, Irish folk type music. And mm-hmm. it just ruined the whole flow. It, the music was all wrong combined with the normal stuff we played and it particularly upset and i guess you're one of them it, it kind of upset the uh, the jocks out there didn't it uh, having to play that even though i'm sure they knew the reason for it oh we hated it absolutely hated it but uh, we had no choice how did you get on with ronan was he a, a good guy to work for as well well i only met him twice um and that was in the office um the first one was when we got the job we didn't have any any sort of in-depth conversations also no. i i really can't comment on on that he seemed to be a fairly reasonable sort of guy yeah and who who was out on caroline at the time you were out there i know as you say tom went out with you who who else was out at that sort of time oh the admiral robbie dale um who else was there um oh what's his name he came and worked here in australia for a while uh, he he's died since um Oh yeah, um, Mike Ahern. Mike Ahern, Mike yeah. Ahern, yeah, great, Mike great Ahern job. Was there. Yeah, big, big and, fan of uh, Mike. Johnny Walker, of course, was yeah. there. Uh, and was it? Um, was it? I know it's a, <laughs> it's a silly question in a way, but was it a happy ship? Did you all kind of get on? And yeah, yeah, I never. When I was on the ship, uh, I I didn't see any problems at all between um, between the jocks. Uh, occasionally, there was a bit of tension between us and the and the ship crew. But apart from that, no, I don't recall. We all, we all got on pretty well. Yeah. And was it a, a different atmosphere uh, than it was on City uh, with regards to, you know, being a team? Yeah, you know, I, looking back on it, I, I think really that on Radio City we worked more as a team, which is how the Auntie Mabel Hour started. 
um, than on on Caroline, where it was just each individual person doing their own program uh, and not getting involved with each other on air. Well, obviously, we, we you know chatted it over meals and so forth, but it didn't have that community really on air that we did on City. So when when you were obviously rolling towards August the 14th, you all knew what was happening. Did you uh, immediately think that that would be it? You you would uh, go back to Australia? Because being an Australian citizen, you could have potentially stayed on legally, whereas obviously the British guys couldn't. What was your thought process around that at the time, Ian? Uh, yeah, well, my thought was um, I'd been doing this for two just over two years, um, with two weeks on board at sea, one week ashore. And um, I just thought, okay, that's the experience I've had. I've enjoyed it. Time to go home. Yeah, so you rolled on to the 14th and uh, and then came off and and you were part of of uh, radio history, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I got, could have stayed on Caroline when it moved across to um, off Holland, but I thought, do I want to live in Amsterdam? And then I've had enough of this. Yeah, I want a normal life. Yeah, and what was the reaction from um, radio stations back in Australia to you when you got back over there? I mean, obviously you you, you clearly got work and and rightly so. But uh, did you think that your experience that you'd had in, in England would actually be something that they could see on your CV that they they would want to employ you, or was there a bit of oh dear, you've been a pirate, maybe not? Oh no, no, they were. Everybody's really interested. They knew all about pirate radio and what I've been doing, and no, they, they, it was a big thing on the CV. The only thing was, when I first came home, there was no there were no vacancies anywhere. Nobody would resign and let me have their job. <laughs> Are you surprised there's still the interest in that period in time? Because it really was. I mean, looking back now, although it had a massive effect, as we know, on UK radio. Yes, I am. Absolutely. I can't believe we're still talking about it now all these years later. Um, I, you're quite right. I mean, it, we are properly us um, pirate people, uh, properly are the reason that the, the UK now has commercial radio. Um, uh, so I feel good about that. We made it happen. Um, but you, you're quite right. We've got generations later of people still talking about it. You know, it's quite weird. How how do you personally look back on that era? Is there anything you would have done differently or uh, anything you regret or anything you particularly remember about the time? That No, not really. I, I, I regard it as a very important part of my life. And I think a part which, which where I learned a lot of things about life. We, there are times like we were you know, in danger when, in times when we were having a great time and lots of laughs. It was a time, of course, when all the great music was coming out. I mean, I was on Caroline on on the Mi Amigo when um, uh, the the Beatles put out Sgt. Pepper, and uh, we had a special uh, version of helicopters out to us and uh, things like that. It was a very important part of my life, and it was great. To, it is great to be know you've been part of radio history. There's never, for whatever people say, there's never been a, in my opinion anyway, there's never been a music era like there was from about 64 to, a, uh, well, probably to the end of the 60s. And you were right there in pop, rock and roll radio, call it what you will, at the best time in history, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't say that publicly anymore because I don't, I don't want to sound like my father used to sound, you know. But, Me too. <laughs> like, how can you listen to all that rubbish? But 
Uh, you're absolutely right. It, 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 it's a great part of history of music, that those, those few years, um, no doubt. And did you um, make the best of that when you was on shore leave as well, going to all the... Marquee, Marquee yeah. Club, yeah. yeah. And, of course, also Caroline had uh, big uh, concerts in those caves yeah. just out. Yeah, so, so us yeah. on-air guys used to take turns to compare them, you know. And I, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that I did a... One was with Jimi Hendrix uh, wow. that I did, um, but they, they were great nights. Uh, Ian, it's been an absolute joy chatting to you, and you know I could go on for a, a lot longer, but you know I'm mindful of y- your time as well. So I, I really appreciate it. And uh... Jeff, it's been my pleasure re- reliving again all those great days, and it's been good talking to you. Well, I do hope you enjoyed uh, listening to that as much as I did uh, chatting to uh, Ian McRae. We were chatting forever. <laughs> we were for about 45 minutes anyway. And uh, about all sorts of stuff. Uh, and, uh, yeah, really enjoyed my chat with Ian. And I really hope that you enjoyed uh, uh, listening to that uh, as well. Thanks also to uh, Jean of uh, the um, uh, Pirate Radio Hall of Fame as well for helping me out with a couple of items uh, for this month's uh, podcast. Great uh, website is two. If you want to pop along there, you will also find a full biog of uh, Ian McRae. That's uh, the Pirate Radio Hall of Fame. On the next edition of Radio Rollback, which will be edition 24, we will be uh, back to our uh, wander through 1970 with uh, Radio North Sea International. Uh, we uh, started in January, did February, March, and the move over to uh, the UK. Obviously, April, we were speaking to Ian, but um, May, will we do April and May, and we'll look at uh, the jamming and that sort of things that was going on around Radio North Sea International in 1970, but we'll also put some other stuff on as well. Also, we've got lined up for some future interviews uh, with uh, uh, two or three people. We haven't quite confirmed them yet, so I'm not going to mention them until we do, but I'm really excited about some other people we've got to chat to on the Radio Rollback podcast. Don't forget, all the episodes are still available on wherever you get your podcast from and if you'd like to get in touch with us here at radio rollback it's jeff martin media 220 at gmail.com thank you for listening to the podcast this uh, particular episode and all the episodes and please keep listening tell your friends uh, and i'll see you next time